Welcome to the broadcast, friends. You are tuned into Corbett Report Radio, and I am your host, James Corbett of CorbettReport.com, coming to you tonight, as every night, from my home broadcasting studios here in the western part of Japan. So, once again, thank you all for tuning in tonight. And last night on the program, we were talking about the globalist agenda and the big picture. And tonight, we're going to use our microscope to go and look at some of the finer details of what's unfolding around the world as we speak. And I really think that both of those processes are necessary. I don't think we can arrive at a big picture without knowing the little pieces that make up that picture, but it's not uh, too healthy, I think, to just stare at the little pieces and not think of the big picture. So I do try to provide a balance on this broadcast, and I hope I'm doing it well enough for all of you out there keeping track at home. But tonight, if you want to play along, please go to stratrisks.com. That's S-T-R-A-T-R-I-S-K-S dot com where you can find a, a slew of news on a daily basis, of course, from all around the world, and so many different aspects of the unfolding geopolitical paradigm that we're uh, unfortunately suffering under at this point. And just a, a smattering of some of the stories that are posted up on the front page right now. U.S. to send floating base to Mideast for quick strikes. U.S. intelligence, India may be drawn into limited war with China. The dangerous idea of NATO expansion will not die. Great power politics making a comeback in the Middle East. Smaller stands fret at Russia's dominance, etc., etc., etc. No shortage of things to talk about tonight, so I'm very excited to have the chief editor of StratRisks.com online with us, Michael Vale. So, Michael, thanks for joining us on the program once again. Thanks for having me. I was a pleasure. I, uh, I follow you uh, pretty often, and uh, I'm appreciative of all the work you guys have been doing. Well, right back at you, and with the incredible work you do at StratRisks, I keep the live uh, RSS feed up on my on my browser so I can t- take a check every day for what's new, and it's, uh, it's always worrying and always uh, interesting, and uh, probably in equal degrees. So I don't know where you want to start tonight. There's so much going on, as always, but uh, wh- what's the biggest blip on your radar right now? Well, um, I, I wrote a, a monthly or bi-monthly uh, article uh, just a couple of days ago, I think it was on Friday, uh, a few days ago, on uh, history repeating itself, and it's called uh, History Repeats Itself, Dire Straits in the Hormuz. And what it is, it's uh, I haven't really heard any major pundits, uh, history experts, bring this up at all, but we're going into uh, something similar that happened where uh, uh, Gamal Abdul Nasser uh, basically took over the uh, Straits of Tehran, basically the Suez Canal, which of course led to the three-day war with Israel. We seem to be going in the exact same direction with Iran. That's interesting. So would you, in that analogy, would you be likening Ahmadinejad to Nasser? Similar, yes. Um, uh, Gamal Abdel Nasser uh, wanted to nationalize Suez Canal, I think that um, the globalists have pushed Iran, uh, and, and they're pretty much doing this by provocation. Also, Iran wants to be a big uh, global player on the block. In the article, I call it, uh, uh, you know, the, the uh, schoolyard bully syndrome. You know, uh, when you're a part of the uh, people who are in the uh, nuclear weapons club, you get treated with respect. When you're not one of those who are in the club, uh, you know, you get the uh, the iron fist, the velvet glove. You look at the sort of uh, dichotomy between North Korea and Iran. North Korea, it's let's come to the table, let's discuss. Here are the perks and benefits of your dealing with us. With this, with Iran, it's you know you'll do as I say. 
And uh, if not, it's crippling sanctions. We'll destroy your currencies. We'll kill your nuclear scientists, etc. With almost complete impunity, of course, as people who have been keeping their eye on it know by now, and absolutely the nuclear hypocrisy is staggering. But on that note, we'll come back after these messages talking to Michael Vale of StratRisks.com about all the latest news from around the globe. Broadcast friends, this is James Corbett of CorbettReport.com, and tonight we're talking to Michael Vale of StratRisks.com and talking about, well, a lot of the great power politics and the great game that's going on around the globe, and uh, we're talking a little bit about Iran there, talking about the way they've been backed into a corner and and the, the nuclear program being sort of their ace in up their sleeve to try to gain a, a spot at that that table of the, the great powers, so to speak. And uh, and I thought it was interesting that you brought up Nasser and that that whole analogy because to me what Nasser represented was a a, a type of secular government uh, in the in that region that uh, that represented a different type of pan Arabism that obviously could not be tolerated if if the great powers wanted to continue to dr- divide up that region and use it as a as a tool and, and exploit its resources. And I think, to my mind, things like Ahmadinejad is the end result of a, a decades-long attempt to try to incite the most uh, most religious elements and the most uh, revolutionary and, and fervorous movements in, in that region to try to destabilize it and make it into the, the type of turmoil that we've seen lately. Oh, precisely. It's uh, it's almost like putting gasoline on a forest fire. Um, essentially, uh, you know, essentially, uh, you... you, you uh, uh, Project a coup against uh, Mohammed uh, Mossadegh, you know, in the 19, 1950s, and uh, which, of course, leads to the uh, the Islamic Revolution, which leads to uh, Ayatollah Khomeini. Uh, I mean, uh, essentially, if you understand how the power structure works, even works in Iran, it's a it's a complex weave. But ultimately, the supreme leader, you know, has ultimate power, and so they don't want a democracy. In the Middle East, I'm not entirely sure, which I do have many Muslim friends, I'm not even entirely sure if Islam is compatible with democracy. That's a subject for another time. But that's not what they want. You know, they talk about Turkey and how Turkey is an example. Turkey isn't even a democracy either. The religious side and the military side rule everything. And what they, what they want to do is essentially isolate and contain their enemies. And that has to do with Russia and China. And so the, they're making friends and making enemies at will. And sometimes their friends become their enemies, you know, later on down the road. And it's really, you know, whatever is in their benefit. But uh, you talked about the sort of hypocrisy with the with the nuclear thing, you know, how, oh, we can't let Iran get a bomb. Well, Pakistan has a bomb. Now Pakistan is working with Saudi Arabia. Saudi Arabia wants a bomb. And so... The opposite outcome of what they uh, they say that they want is they they don't want nuclear proliferation is what they're getting it now. Everyone in the Middle East wants a bomb, um, so uh, ultimately uh, we have just like I said in the beginning of the segment pouring gasoline 
on uh, on a forest fire. Well, that's right, and it's also important to point out how the nuclear uh, arsenal came to be in places like Pakistan, because uh, that the the official story is the the AQCon network, and it was uh, operating you know behind the scenes for all those years, and and somehow managed to, to proliferate these weapons all over the place. But a, as it starts to unfold now, and as it starts to come out in various court cases and documents. Uh, it's now clear that the, the AQCon network was infested from from it's really pretty much its inception in the 1970s with uh, CIA and other international intelligence agency officials, and the people who were trying to blow the whistle on it uh, were the ones who ultimately got sidelined and demoted and and put out of the way in uh, in harmless positions to to really allow that to go forward. So I think it's important to understand that again, there really is no no rogue nuclear network that could exist without without some sort of intelligence infiltration. So when we see it proliferating to, to Pakistan and then over to North Korea and places like that, I think it's part of a, a, a plan to to destabilize regions, to make things more volatile and thus to give an excuse for more intervention around the world. Oh the pretext works. Oh we've we've got to go in, you know, this has gotten out of hand. This this is ridiculous. You know, look at North Korea uh, and look at the Clintons' involvement in, in, in North, Korea, North Korea and their nuclear weapons. Um, and every now and then, uh, of course, the North Koreans starving. They have to go out and, and, and push, you know, their nu- nuclear weapons on some trucks and roll them around in the streets, let people say, yes, we do have nuclear weapons. Um, honestly, it's not really about nuclear weapons. It's, it's what really what they perceive as what they can attain, what they can hold on to, territory, resources, um, and uh, like I say, you know, it's a it's a big game of risk, and everyone's playing the same game. Um, all of them, whether it's China, Russia, India, America, they're all playing the same game. They're just going about it different ways. Russia, of course, being a bully um, with uh, South Ossetia, North Ossetia, Georgia, Abkhazia. Um, you look at India with Kashmir and Pakistan and all of them. I mean, it's all that same game playing out. And, you know, who's going to be involved in the proxy war? Um, you mentioned in the, in the beginning of the show about uh, the U.S. intelligence saying that there may be a, a small war between India and China. I don't think it'll be China. I think it'll be Pakistan. It'll be another Cargill war breaking out. Um, that's really what, what I would assume would be the more natural thing to play out. But let's go over that report a little bit. It, it comes from um, Domain B, which I'm not familiar with, but it says, U.S. intelligence, India may be drawn into limited war with China. It says, noting that India's increasing concern about China's posture on its border, a top U.S. Uh, intelligence official today said that the Indian Army is strengthening itself for a limited conflict with China. And again, that seems kind of counterintuitive uh, to me. I, I know that China and Pakistan have been cozying up lately, so that might be worrying to India. And uh, But there are all sorts of other things going on between those players that I find interesting, like the uh, India-Pakistan-Iran pipeline and things like that. And there's a lot of uh, shifting on that chessboard. And, and to my mind, I don't know what the state of India-Pakistan relations are right now. I mean, obviously, they... They have to be tense, and they're always seemingly on the edge of war. But uh, I'm wondering if they're going to be drawn into some sort of anti-NATO axis of some sort. Uh, it's interesting to me because um, you talk about Kashmir Kaj- uh, and the line of control. China has been working with Pakistan. They want bases um, in Pakistan and Kashmir. They've been really building up their militaries on the line of control, which really started the, the whole Cargill War in the beginning. Um, back in the days, 
and and so to me, like you said, between the pipelines going on uh, there and um, uh, basically India and Pakistan have now tried to cut a deal to tell each other where their nuclear weapons are. <laughs> I don't know how well that's going to go. But like you said, NATO now is a big player in the game. I don't see how a, 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 a framework for defense, quote-unquote, now is, is, is bombing nations willy-nilly now, and uh, they're talking about bringing the Ukraine in, bringing in Georgia. Uh, it's ridiculous to bring in Georgia. That, that country is just deplorable. But again, it's, you know, uh, you know, my friend is the enemy of, of my enemy, and uh, we'll bring them in, and we'll do whatever we have to do um, as long as we can attain our ultimate objectives. And that goes back to the isolation and containment policy. What could go wrong? Well, yeah, right. what could go wrong? Oh, my God. What was that, 2008? Uh, ooh. Yeah, right, 888. Exactly right, yes. For people who don't remember, of course, uh, Russia uh, had to defend itself. Of course, it was portrayed in the uh, in the West as uh, Russia having been the aggressor, but ultimately it was Georgia that attacked. And, um, and uh, yeah, almost brought, and Russia had to say that, well, we're prepared to roll nukes into the area. We're, we're going to take this place uh, if, if we have to. And uh, eventually Georgia backed down, and it, it kind of went away, but, uh, but it was an interesting and very, very tense moment there. Oh, and uh, you notice that the United States... Uh while they were, you know, giving out information as far as logistics and advising, they made it very clear that they they weren't directly involved, and they kind of stuck their tail between their legs, and kind of, you know, kind of moved away a bit and said, "We'll let things, uh, uh, you know, go forward as they may." You know, we're not involved in this. And I mean, you, you look at you look at um, Georgia and their dealings with Russia and those phantom nation states, whether it's uh, the uh, the Abkhazia, North Ossetia, South Ossetia. South Ossetia uh, about had a color revolution because the Kremlin runs all of the uh, uh, the uh, the elected officials there, those who will be elected in the future, and the loyal opposition. I mean, honestly, it's like if America ran Canada uh, covertly and put in their officials who they wanted, as soon as you have an official who is not wanted... They nullify the elections that all hell breaks loose. You mean America doesn't run Canada covertly? Well, <laughs> <laughs> that's a question. That's a question I, I probably couldn't answer. It's too many variables for me to try to figure out. Well, I suppose so, but uh, the, the the lines are blurring anyway. We can put it that way. Well, um, well, let's let's talk a little bit about that that region in general. The the stands, as as it's put in this article, smaller stands at fret uh, fret at Russia's dominance uh, from atimes.com, talking about Tajikistan, Kyrgyzstan, and uh, and some of the other the players in the area that are that are worried about Russia's uh, creeping dominance. Uh, what what really is Russia's strategy here, and what's their end game? Well, you know, uh, if you talk about Putin, uh, Putin of course wants his Eurasian nation, Eurasian Union. And it's, it's kind of, to me, it's kind of like where you take bits and pieces of the EU trade agreements, you bring in the CSTO, uh, military agreements, uh, a political union, super nation system, but still has a sort of tight infrastructure and control of a Soviet Union. And that, that's their goal. They're even going back to some of those old Soviet Union songs. Uh, I mean, Putin wants the full shebang. And so 
a lot of those nations, which were, you know, for, former Soviet bloc nations, are very worried, you know, especially the Ukraine, especially Belarus, and some of these other nations. But a lot of these nations are autocratic nations. I mean, you look at Turkmenistan, and you and you look at uh, uh, Uzbekistan. Absolutely, they are uh, definitely autocratic in that that region, quite a, to quite a, a, a great degree. So. At any rate, we'll, we'll come back. We'll continue going across the globe with various different uh, articles on stratrisks.com. So don't touch that dial. We'll be right back after these messages. Welcome back to Corbett Report Radio, friends. I am James Corbett of CorbettReport.com. Tonight we're going over all sorts of news from all around the world with StratRisks.com Chief Editor Michael Vale. And uh, turning away from geopolitics for a moment, let's take a listen, uh, look at a very, very bizarre, uncomfortable, and, and fascinating story called Are We Ready for a Morality Pill? Which is uh, sources from the New York Times. Uh, it's by uh, Peter Singer. And uh, it's, well, I, I don't even know how to begin describing this. Uh, Michael, why don't you give us your take on what this morality pill is all about? It's, it's, it's interesting to me, of course, by Peter Singer, uh, who I'm familiar with. But uh, the idea is that uh, through uh, customized uh, neuroviruses, you know, uh, of that nature, um, that, you know, if you're uh, aggressive, if you're violent, or if you're just not feeling, you're not feeling the hope and change that Obama's bringing you, then possibly we'll give you the pill. It says here, scientists have explored uh, this question like this for decades. Uh, it says here, uh, there's much of discussion uh, of all these experiments of myths. Some people did the right thing. Um, I'm trying to find the info. Oh, let me see here. The experiment on rats do this. Oh, it says, uh, continuing brain research does, in fact, show biochemical differences between the brains of those who help others and the brains of those who do not, this could lead to a morality pill, a drug that makes us more likely to help. Now, this sort of goes in, in the context of uh, where they talked about how they could customly alter our behavior. That was another article I saw uh, where if you were did something bad and you go to jail, well, instead of going to jail... How about taking this pill? And this pill, of course, retool your mind into, you know, uh, being a good government slave, you know, uh, uh, ultimately. Another interesting article was uh, DNA hackers, synthetic biology, weaponized viruses, zero-day exploit to infect your brain. Now, that sounds like a, a hell of a lot in, in a title, but this is what's really coming to the forefront now. Now that we're doing all these neural neural testing, uh, whether fMRIs, yeah, EEGs, now the ability now uh, to uh, to see see what you're thinking, to hear what you're hearing through neural signals from the brain, all of this is coming to the forefront. It is, and and the thing that strikes me about this is that exactly in the way that you can have uh, a, a program for into uh, into anthrax studying anthrax or bioweapons or that kind of thing in the name of defense oh well we must know about it in order to defend ourselves against it 
I place this in that kind of continuum where we can look into how to create more moral people, but of course it's the exact same research that would lend itself to creating a, a drug that would do the exact opposite. For example, if you wanted a perfect killer for a, you know, an assassination team, a SEAL Team 6, or whatever the case may be, just take this pill and uh, you can kill totally without conscience, or, or whatever the case may be. I mean, it's who gets to decide what's the uh, the neutral setting for morality and what people should be attuned to? I mean, the, the implications for this are just staggering. Well, you, you talked about, you know, soldiers. Um, this is already being discussed in the military, you know, turning off all the sort of fear receptors, uh, morality re- receptors, you know, turning off the, the, uh, the ability to not need sleep, to be like a perfect killing machine. And um, I, I think ultimately this is happening through games like Modern Warfare, where people are being desensitized, seeing people killed over and over and over and over and over again, a UFC and the rest. It's happening very slowly, where people begin to think that life is, life is meaningless and people are meaningless because so many die so many times in, in 24 hours. But to be able to, let's say, give a person a pill to retool their morality according to someone else's specifications, you know, to be a good government worker um, or to be a, a killer for the government, this is going way, way too far. This is going into the sort of brave new world, you know, psychology. Uh, it's going into the, the realm of we can improve you. And that's what the sort of ultimately that's what the transhumanist, posthumanist want. And the bioethicists who have deemed themselves experts on these moral dilemmas of whether we should advance with this or how we should advance with these types of technologies. And it's funny how these uh, these types of people get into these positions um, and, and, oh, and somehow bioethics. have the authority. Right. Bioethics is, is a code word. It used to be, uh, you know, eugenicists, but uh, that had a bad connotation. Um, I saw a, a World Bank document uh, where they talked about how... Uh, Eugenicists and, 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 you know, the ethics of that, you know, used to be a respected, uh, uh, you know, a science and, and, it, and the uh, horrors of Nazi Germany and what they, you know, did made it a bad thing. And so they killed all the Jews and they killed so many people and gassed them and mass murder. And so you have to change the name. You have to sort of be on the cutting edge of it so people don't find out what you really are about. And this is eugenics. Exactly right. It's uh, crypto-eugenics, uh, social biology and bioethics and all of these other disciplines that arose in the uh, wake of the death of eugenics as a, as a viable cause. And it's really just gone underground and taken different forms. But you're exactly right. And if uh, I, I would suggest people go and take a look at Peter Singer's uh, Wikipedia entry and just look at some of the things that he's advocated in the past, including having uh, relationships between adult humans and animals. As long as nothing is hurt, it's, it's perfectly loving and beautiful and things like this. Um, just Ugh. unbelievable stuff that you have to read to believe. But on that note, on that wacky weird note, we'll uh, take a short break and we'll be right back after this talking more with Michael Bale of StratRisks.com. You're listening to the Republic Broadcasting Network. Because you can handle the truth. Right off the silver screen into a moonbeam. To the alien 
friends, we're back here on Corbett Report Radio, and you are tuned into CorbettReport.com, RepublicBroadcasting.org, and tonight we're talking to Michael Vale of StratRisks.com. So thank you once again for joining us. And uh, just before the break there, we were talking about a uh, sci-fi nightmare becoming a mundane reality, talking about the creation of a morality pill, which uh, may not be too far away as scientists continue to study the biochemical nature of what makes us quote-unquote, moral people, and uh, I would not trust the bioethicist to decide what is or is not moral. But on that sci-fi note, let's turn to a, an article that came out on Strat Risks on December 15th of last year, 2011, so last month, uh, or actually two months ago now. Uh, DNA hackers, synthetic biology weaponized virus, zero-day exploit to infect your brain. This comes from Computer World. Uh, Michael, maybe you can give us the rundown on this. Yeah, to me, I, I think this is the real forefront uh, for uh, for the military, uh, for a lot of things going on. I mean, the first thing that really happened major was uh, people's pacemakers would be get, would get hacked, um, and the sort of uh, the biology creating a, a synthetic, you know, a life force, you know, and and all of that. That's where really all this began. But now, you know, with the ability to understand how, you know, how, how the DNA works and, and what they used to call junk DNA and how important that is, that's kind of like the kernel for your operating system. Um, now they're going to be moving forward with this and creating almost like customized viruses to interact with your DNA and to interact basically with your operating system and with your kernel. Let me read a little bit of this. This is uh, very important. It says, just as you can personalize your computer and computer devices, advances in synthetic biology, allowing DNA hackers to personalize biology so that we will be able to use a DNA printer that will allow us to print our own treatments, print our own organs, etc., etc. Think of it as a patch that you need to close a vulnerability on a system. How, I mean, this is, this is like really the sort of, uh, I can't even say 22nd century because we're almost at that point now where you know it's being discussed synthetic life forms and such it says uh now consider when we have uh, we will have the ability to boot dna in the same way of booting as a P- booting a pc up but the data wisely transmits uh to uh, to us to perhaps keep us healthy imagine that like the transhumanists to be able to update their health on the fly you know wirelessly because of course our brains are electromagnetic, and they do uh, they do they do monitor our electromagnetic signals. An article came out just the uh, just the other day about uh, you know when uh, telepathy machines will come out to be able to monitor our our, our wireless electromagnetic signals from our brain through uh, some sort of like an EEG machine, electroencephalogram machine, to basically understand what we're thinking. What we can say to someone without speaking it, all of this sort of thing is coming down the pipe. And to me, the most disturbing thing about this is that these advances in technology, like so many others, enable the destabilization of the world in, in greater and greater ways that then call for, in sort of a dialectic process, that more and more infiltration into our lives to keep us safe from, from whatever threat it might be. So, so I mean, just as in the 19th century, the, the idea of a truly global war would have been pretty much unthinkable, 
by the mid-20th century, the idea of complete global destruction was pretty much a reality with the creation of nuclear weapons. So um, so technology just put, puts the, the ball so much further down the field, and it, the, that pace of change is happening so fast now that it seems within a generation or two, I, I don't even know if we'll be able to recognize the world that most of our uh, our children and grandchildren will be living in. Very true. I, you know, it's not like they're they're curing the common cold or or cancer or any of the various you know ailments that we have. You know, you know they'll allow you to live with it and make a boatload of money in the process. But what they what they're doing is a really you know, like I said, taking the the ball down the field and to be able to have take more a part of your life and, and science and technology. Um, a guy, uh, Jacques Lille, talked about. Eventually, people will be outside and looking at the, the skies and won't even know what sort of the weather they're in unless someone tells them, which goes a long way to, the, to what you talked about, expertology. And so they want to be able to, you know, have access to your mind and to your body and to, you know, change those things on the fly. Then what will happen when what makes us who we are and our individuality is wiped along with it? Incredible things to think about, but slightly closer to home and closer to our uh, current age. Uh, another really interesting story that came out recently on Strat Risks, U.S. to send floating base to Mideast for quick strikes, and it's uh, from Wall Street Journal. It says, within the president's defense budget plan is funding for an intriguing new item, a floating drone base that also could be used as a launching pad for commandos. The vessel called an afloat forward staging base would be a platform that could be configured to carry and refuel small patrol boats, helicopters, or pilotless aircraft, which I think just is the next stage in this this conversion of the military that we've seen uh, for a while now, but really kicking into high gear right now into really an automated strike force that uh, will not require anywhere near the number of people that armies in the past uh, would have required. You know, know, the old saying, chivalry is dead. It is dead, and there was once uh, something called, you know, uh, military chivalry, you know, when you're eye to eye, face to face, face to face, and you have to kill someone, you know, that's looking you right in your eye, uh, then it, it's real. It hits, it hits home. But for someone sitting 5,000 miles away in, 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 in Langley, Virginia or someplace, uh, pressing a button on his iPhone, you know, to bomb someone, or whether it's uh, autonomous drones like the most recent one, the Manhunter drone for the Navy, this is done. I mean, ultimately, who controls the warfare? You know, where is the accountability? Where is the oversight? Who decides? Uh, does it just happen that, uh, you know, the, the drones begin to, you know, act on their own? Uh, I just, to me, this is just going uh, beyond the pale as far as the military is concerned and, and lives in general. Look at how Obama has just bombed people, bombed children, found out a bomb about it, and paid no mind to it. When this happens, when there is a human factor involved, and it and it's this bad, what happens when there is no human factor involved? It's crazy. That's exactly right. I mean, it, this is an actual, true, real dilemma that is actually, I mean, this isn't science fiction fantasy. This is now happening. And I, a, a really interesting article came out a few days ago on IEEE.org, uh, Who is Accountable When Drones Kill, 
which which sounds like a, it, it's not a particularly troubling subject, but when you start thinking about these autonomous attack robots and drones and things, I mean, it, it's absolutely, it, it's just a completely different realm of uh, of conflict. And I, I really do think that uh, that any any uh, global player or anyone that wants to be a global player at this stage is is going to have to either develop this uh, this type of technology quickly or will be eradicated swiftly should war actually break out. Jeez. Well, recently, um, uh, some of the drones were using Windows-type software, well, it was Windows software, um, that were connecting wirelessly to the drones from the control system. Well, that got hacked, and they had to switch from like, Windows to a Linux-based system. So this stuff is not even really secure all the way. Now there's the, now the journalists want drones to, to be able to, you know, maybe a mantra, a wedding, or whoever. Police want drones. I mean, wh- where does this end when the eye in the sky, you know, is, is honestly like, you know, uh, he never blinks. It's like the Gorgon stare. Exactly right. Well, fascinating stuff, but we have a caller waiting on the line. We have Jorge in El Paso. So, Jorge, thanks for the call tonight. Uh, what's on your mind? Oh, I just wanted to thank you for all your reports. I've been following you since you began in, in uh, 2007, I think. I just wanted to throw something on the table, uh, not changing subjects or anything, just an idea. Uh, with the elections, um, I know that you go in depth into your investigations, but I've never seen anything that... Um, you have never addressed the the, the reliability of uh, of uh, the elections, and we have had a lot of cases throughout the well, world. Well, hold on, right there, that's not true. Oh, that's really? Not true. I had a podcast episode called uh, "Your Vote Doesn't Count," and it, it was specifically about the voting and how it's all rigged. When was that? That must have been two thousand eight. I'd like to say in the two thousand eight election cycle. Well, I just got your uh, DVD. I'm going to have to check it. <laughs> But anyway, yeah. there has been a, a lot of uh, interesting stuff coming from different people, and uh, I'd like to see something uh, about uh, what has happened, for instance, in 2008 in New Mexico, for instance. Or well, I agree. It's an extremely important topic that goes to the very heart of even the pretense of having a, a so-called de- democracy. So I'll, I agree that's uh, something that's ripe for, for further pickings. So I'll, I will line up some guests on that. Do you have anyone in particular you think might be a good guest on that topic? Uh, well, um, uh, there's a, a Professor Miller that has written a couple of books on that, or more than two, I think. Um, there is this other guy, uh, Greg Pallas, that also is very active on that. Uh, That's right. I think I have tried to get in touch with Greg Palace before, but he never got back to me. So, <laughs> but I, I will look into to Millard, and uh, and there's uh, some black box voting and other other sites that I know have been doing a lot of great work on this. So I will try to get someone on to talk Very about good. that. Because you're right, it's an important. That's important all I wanted call. to say. Thanks, thanks for your work. Well, thank you, thank you for the call. Okay, um, I, I agree completely. Uh, an extremely important part of all of these election cycles is the 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 electronic voting, just a, a ridiculous concept. Michael, do you have any take on this story? Well, I, like I said, uh, electronic voting is is completely reprehensible. Uh, honestly, um, uh, some of the old prototypes uh, of electronic voting, you know, there was wireless access to these machines. Um, of course, the security on these machines uh, can be broken easily. I mean, there's various videos, like I said, with the uh, black box voting. Um, 
to to me, I, I don't even think they're being entirely genuine or, or even honest with the the American people and people at large when they say, yes, we have electronic voting. Uh, it's not like, you know, when there's fraud involved and where you punch down a name for whoever the heck you want, whatever, whatever snake you want, and then it goes to be counted by human people. And, of course, there could be fraud in that as well. But it's so easily, it's almost built for fraud when you have electronic machines doing the tallying. And it's, it's been exposed over and over again. And I'm gonna, I'm gonna say the same thing, like you said. It's like, your vote does not count. You know, to me, it's like voting for poisonous snakes and hoping to get the snake that is the least poisonous, um, is honestly a waste of time. Couldn't agree more. Electronic votes aren't worth the paper they're not printed on. Um, so moving along, anything else on the radar from uh, from around the world that you want to get off uh, off your chest tonight? Oh, um, really, really, what I what I really do want to say is is that I think that we have to be objective in all of this. You know, we can look at whatever we want to look at. You know, and whatever aspects of the new world order, globalism, science, technology, but you have to be objective, and you have to be able to you know, put all this data together and, and really make sense of it. I think a lot of people fall into the trap of, uh, you know, ham or eggs or bacon and eggs and picking a side. I'm, I'm not supporting uh, Iran. I'm not supporting the United States. I'm not supporting Syria. I'm looking at the ma- information, providing information. And honestly, uh, a morality check on any of these nations is, is ridiculous because neither one of them are moral. And uh, we, we really need to be above the fray on this. Well, that's that's pretty much my, my take on it. I think it's important to understand what's happening in our world and the, the types of things that are going on at the macrocosmic level. But I think really the change and the, the ability to change the course of what's happening could only really start at the microcosmic level and in communities of people who have come together to, to take themselves out of this system and to stop participating in the, uh, in the perpetuation of these endless wars for conquest and, and plunder. Yeah, and I think to a large degree, the sort of, you know, uh, cartelization and fractionalization of the masses, you know, splitting them into Democrat, Republican, uh, Libertarian, Conservative, Progressive, goes, goes to show and keep people away from being united and, and maybe one point, one focus, one idea, one goal. Um, if you can, if we can get a mass of people to agree on one thing and move in a direction to fix it, something logical, something that makes common sense, then we should do it. But the sort of fractionalization of the masses is what keeps it from happening. All right, well, approaching this uh, from the uh, the backwards to the forwards, um, perhaps uh, for people who haven't followed our conversation, we, we uh, talked to you uh, last year on the program, but for people who hadn't heard that one and who haven't seen Strat Risks before, um, perhaps let's just talk a little bit about Strat Risks and, uh, and what, you're, what you're really doing with this site and, and where people can help you to take this site. What can people do to, to help uh, spread the word about this type of information? Well, originally it started... Uh, um Really, I've been been doing this for uh, before I could even get out of high school and run away from it. <laughs> um, but I uh, really didn't have a website back then. All of that, just doing independent research. Uh, Strat risk uh, really started because of risk management, and, and really, you know, what happens in, in the microcosm affects the macrocosm. What happens in, in some uh, country in the corner of the world affects us as well. 
especially in this globalized economy and this globalized system. And so Strat Risk is an effort to sort of, you know, put the, the, the sort of uh, microscope out there and see what's going on and see how it affects you and see how people just like you are being screwed over. Um, uh, really, honestly, uh, as long as you're going and viewing the website, reading the articles and, you know, telling your friends about them and, uh, I, that's more than I can ask for. And, uh, I'm, I'm happy to, uh, put my efforts toward it as much, I, as much as I can and uh, go as far as, as far as possible. Well, uh, just uh, just taking a look at the the list of people that you've uh, interviewed in your own time as a as a radio host on your own right. I mean, you've talked to people like Alvin Toffler and John Perkins and James Bamford and Peter Singer, a different Peter Singer than the one we were referring to earlier, but uh, but lots of, of extremely interesting people. Uh, what was your uh, what was the most interesting interview you've conducted so far? Uh, I would I would say uh, the Thomas Barnett Thomas P M Barnett it's always interesting to talk to uh, Joseph Nye who of course is uh, the the uh, one of the top of the food chain of the Trilateral Commission uh, interesting um, because when you look at some of these people and they may have big names and lots of fancy numbers and and and, and digits behind them they may seem special they're just people and and honestly they may have knowledge in certain areas. But really, soak up uh, as much of it as you can is what I've been doing and working my way up the food chain. I'm, I've been trying as of late to get uh, Zbigniew Brzezinski on the show and, and just go forward with it and see how far we can get and what information that we can put together and, and uh, do the best we can. Well, that's what it's about. It's about collating the information and trying to get as much info as we can and, and sussing out what we do get once we get it, because obviously there's propaganda coming out uh, through these mouthpieces as well, but still it's important to digest and analyze that. At any rate, we'll take our final break, and we'll be back with the final moments of Corbett Report Radio right after this. friends we're back and here we are in the final moments of tonight's edition of corporate report radio I'd just like to remind you all of course as always tomorrow night will be james evan Pilato of foodworldorder.com he'll be on to go over food health and environment issues in the second half of tomorrow night's program of course the first half will be a news blitz and open phones so uh, absolutely anything you want to call in about tomorrow night will be fine so I'm looking forward to that. But here in the final few minutes with Michael Vale, the chief editor of StratRisks.com. Michael, I understand you're also associated with BlacklistedNews.com, an excellent news source that I myself check on a regular basis and often cite on the show. So perhaps you can tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, Blacklisted News started uh, about 2006. And, you know, just the, the, the curiosity of, of what's going on, what's being discussed, uh, you know, whether it's, whether it's globalist or, or trade uh, deals, and uh, Doug Owen and I, you know, are just hard at it. Uh, Doug is Doug is 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 like an addict, uh, a purveyor, an addict of information, and it's all there. And thousands upon thousands of people go to visit it every day. And uh, between uh, all those people, between the public relations uh, media pukes out there and the military and spooks, it is. Really, an information warehouse. You can find everything that you're looking for right then and there. There's probably posted about anywhere between 20 articles a day. I've uh, been going on now for about uh, what, four, five, six years now. So it, it's just crazy the amount of information that is stored therein. And uh, 
sometimes I go back and, and you know, we, we post anything and everything we think is interesting. And uh, it's it's amazing, you know, something you set up and you let it run. And it's a, it's almost in itself autonomous. It's become like a machine. Ooh, it's kind of like an unmanned aerial vehicle or something along those lines. No, it's uh, it is it is <laughs> distributing great, information instead of it bombs. is a great resource though. I mean, it's it's got so much information on so many different things. So even just glancing at the headlines right now, you have MF Global missing money mostly found, or European fiscal pact, international financial dictatorship. Then you also have science news like mind reading device could become reality. FDA's new claim, your body is a drug and we have the authority to regulate it. I mean, it's a wide swath of information going on there, so I think it really is a valuable resource in a lot of ways. Yeah, and it stands on its own. It's it's wonderful, you know. Something, uh, you know, a bunch of guys started and uh, has gotten really, really popular. And people with the likes of the Sean Hannity and the, the Mockingbird media types of the world, um, our Alexa rankings are better than theirs. <laughs> Excellent. Well, it is good to hear that, and it is, good, and we know that on so many different levels. But it's always good to to remind ourselves that we really are winning this this PR battle against the uh, the big corporate and foundation funded mouthpieces that are really just paid and designed and set up for, for to to really control your mind and control the flow of information. So, just in the final few moments here, um, for people who are interested in in some of your interviews that you've done in the past with Th- Thomas Barnett and others, how how can they find those? Uh, it's on uh, Vantage Point Radio dot com vantagepointradio.com I've, I've put up most of my interviews there and that's when I was uh, working with Oracle Broadcasting and right now I've been focused on Stratus but I do have uh, Thomas P.M. Barnett uh, big military strategist coming on uh, next uh, Tuesday here so it'll probably be up uh, by late Tuesday uh, early Wednesday and uh, trying to work my way up the food chain of, uh, of those who are intelligent and also legal Yes, exactly. Well, I'm looking forward to that and all of the, the work that continues to come out on a daily basis at stratrisks.com, an excellent source of news. So once again, Michael Vale, thank you for joining us on the program, and thank you to all of you out there for listening. Once again, I can't do it without you and all of your support and all of the feedback and tips and everything that you send in through CorbettReport.com. So thank you to all of you out there. And until tomorrow night, thanks for listening, and take care. <laughs>